Good afternoon, and welcome to the Mesa Chamber of Commerce Inside Business Podcast. My name is Sally Harrison. I'm the president and CEO of the Mesa Chamber of Commerce, and today we're in the University of Phoenix podcast studio. I've got a little introduction because we have kind of a really important subject today. Um, as a national leader in integrated health care services, Encompass Health offers both facility-based and home-based patient care through its network of inpatient rehabilitation hospitals, home health agencies, and hospice agencies. With a national footprint that includes 134 hospitals, 245 home health locations, and 83 hospice locations in 37 states and Puerto Rico, the company is committed to delivering high-quality, cost-effective, integrated healthcare across the healthcare continuum. Encompass Health is ranked as one of the Fortune 100 best companies to work for. Congratulations on that. That's awesome. Here in Mesa, Encompass Health Rehabilitation Hospital of the East Valley is a 70-bed inpatient rehabilitation hospital that offers comprehensive inpatient services. Encompass Health East Valley is accredited by the Joint Commission and has disease-specific certifications for amputees, brain injury, Parkinson's disease, and stroke rehabilitation. Serving patients throughout the East Valley, the hospital is located at 5652 East Baseline Road. And you can learn more about them at EncompassHealth.com uh, slash East Valley Rehab. So it is March and it is National Brain Injury Awareness Month. And today we're lucky to have um, friends, Rachel Franks, who is a certified rehabilitation registered nurse with a master's in science and nursing, and Teresa Beckman, who is a physical therapist with a doctorate of physical therapy and is also a board certified neurological. You guys have like the longest titles ever, clinical specialists. And I'm here to talk about the news and what of traumatic brain injury or TBI. So let's talk about that, ladies. Tell us what traumatic brain injury or a TBI, what is that? So the, if you go by CDC definition, um, you know, it's kind of a long one. They talk about, you know, disrupting normal function of the brain and really we're looking at anything caused externally. So a bump, a hit, um, a jolt, um, anything that kind of penetrates or goes into the head. You know, it's really any physical injury that changes how your brain works. Okay. Well, you hear a lot about that um, when you're talking about veterans or, you know, police officers. So I think TBI is a little more well-known as far as, you know, people hearing the term. They may not always understand it, but I think a lot of us have heard it now. So who's at risk for getting a TBI? Well, really anyone is at risk for getting a TBI. Anyone can get a TBI in a car accident. Anyone can fall down and hit their head, falling down the stairs. However, there are three main age groups that are the high, highest risk for TBI. Um, the first one is infants and toddlers ages zero to four. And this is the age when babies are at risk for rolling off the bed or falling off the couch onto the floor. And then as they get a little bit older, they start to walk and they can fall down and hit their head when they're walking. Um, and unfortunately, this age group is also at risk for abusive head trauma, which is formerly known as shaken baby syndrome. Uh, this form of abuse occurs when somebody shakes a baby or hits a baby against a hard surface. This ties into one of the biggest risk factors for TBI in children, which is abuse. Non-accidental trauma is the cause of at least 80% of deaths in head trauma in children under two, and approximately two-thirds of children under, two, under three who are physically abused have some form of traumatic brain injury. Um, the second 
um, age group are adolescents and young adults ages 15 to 24. This age group is when we see teenagers, um, they start driving. And because their frontal lobes are not completely developed in this age, <laughs> they're not making the greatest decisions. Um, they're texting and driving, they're speeding, they're racing, they're not wearing their seatbelts. They're riding motorcycles and dirt bikes and four wheelers. And they're getting into contact sports like football, wrestling, hockey, and all of these things put them at a huge risk for getting a TBI. Um, lastly, in this age group, like you mentioned earlier, um, it is associated with the military, combat, blast, explosives, and firearms. And the last age group is uh, older adults, ages 65 and above. And this is directly related to falling. As we age, our balance worsens and um, many older adults develop orthostatic hypotension. When your blood pressure drops, when you sit up and stand up too quickly, it can make you dizzy and you can even pass out and you can fall and hit your head. Oh. Well, what can we do to decrease the risk of a TBI? Um, so, you know, and it varies with kind of the age group and the reason. Um, so in our younger kids, you know, it's really taking a lot of like childproofing precautions, um, things like helmets, you know, when we're, you know, running the bikes and the scooters, um, you know, that helps with kind of the accident and the fall part of it. You know, supervision is a big thing, especially when you look at, um, um, you know, just kind of watching kids, how they're getting around the house, especially if they're getting mobile. Uh, you know, I've got three young kids, including two toddlers. It's not always easy. So, I mean, that alone can feel like a full-time job. Sure. Uh, when you get into the abuse of had trauma, like the, the, we said, formerly known as shaken baby, that one's a little more complex because that one introduces a lot of social issues, you know, as far as, you know, sometimes it's a matter of, you know, maybe do we need to increase our support network for parents and caregivers, you know, so that when they have stressors, um, or other situations for like mental health that they have access to resources to help decrease these kids as being kind of the outlet for that. Um, and then, you know, there's also the complicated situations that occur with abusive households um, and finding, you know, places for shelters for women to get out of abusive relationships is um, unfortunately one of the higher statistics for that. So a lot of times it's not even the primary parent. It's like a, um, it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend or somebody who's a caregiver, but not necessarily directly family. Okay. Um, when you get into, oh yeah, go ahead. What? No, I'm just listening, learning. <laughs> um, so, and then when you get into our young adults, a lot of it is still like kind of safety preventative stuff. You know, it's wearing the seatbelt. It's, um, you know, wearing the helmets and things like that when you go out and do the contact sports. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I think um, sport safety and um, activity safety. And even when you talk about like military, I think we've made a lot of really great advancements and the equipment and the technology that we use to keep people safe. Um, I think one of the things that I know a lot of personal people in my life are always surprised to learn is a lot of helmets for motorcycles and bicycles are only good for one impact. Mm -hmm. They're a lot like car seats that way. After one impact, one major incident, you need to get a new helmet because the materials that are designed to kind of absorb the impact and after they've absorbed one impact, they need, they're, they've done their job. So sure. they need to be retired and, um, and a new one needs to be used. I know a lot of people, you know, like, Oh, this helmet's got me through three accidents. It really probably shouldn't have, um, <laughs> each time it provides less and less protection. So, you know, replacing helmets and things like that, making sure that they're in good condition. I know some of the sport helmets are designed to be multiple use. And so that's really kind of a, 
manufacturer dependent thing. Um, the other thing that really comes into play is really just, you know, helping support our youth and our adults in, in having, um, you know, good adults that they can uh, talk to and relate to to kind of help them avoid any kind of drug and alcohol use. Because a lot of the motor vehicle accidents and things like that that happen uh, have a high rate of um, drugs or other um, alcohol things being on board. Um, you know, and it's funny because you'll sometimes hear people talk about, oh, like, well, at least I was, you know, um, like if things like with drinking with our like younger 20 somethings, it's like, oh, I was drunk. So I was relaxed. But actually having the alcohol or the drugs on board makes your brain more vulnerable to injury and can actually make what may have been a mild injury much worse. So it's kind of like. Oh, no, actually, that didn't help you. <laughs> right. Um, and then um, in our 65 plus group, you know, Rachel mentioned a lot about how balance and some other, you know, normal aging changes can happen. Um, and one of the things that really surprised me when I first started as a physical therapist, and Rachel, I don't know if you can say the same for nursing, is, is um, how many people thought that they just have to deal with the balance changes and some of that stuff as yes. they age? Like, well, you know. I'm getting older and this is just part of it and there's nothing I can do. And I'm like, no, no, actually there's a lot you can do. Um, So it just pulled, that really pulled at my physical therapy heartstrings. Um, So what we know is that as like the Nat King Cole song goes, you know, kids from age one to to 92 is, um, you know, at all ages, we know that balance and strength training can really help people. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, Rachel can maybe talk this more, but, you know, the fancy word is polypharmacy. But when you get on a lot of different medications, and this includes natural supplements too, they can have interactions and that can affect your balance and your dizziness and um, regular visits with either your pharmacist or your primary care doctor, someone who can help you look at these things on a regular basis and say, you know, has my situation changed? Do I still need all of these? You know, sometimes you'd be surprised that the answer is no, you can cut back. Um, or maybe we can change the timing so you're not getting so many different ones at once. Or, you know, maybe you do need all of them at those times, but we can look at what symptoms you're having and then try to work on alternative ways to help you deal with them. So that way, even if you do have to have those symptoms, you're not necessarily left to fend with them on your own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There's so many medications that older adults are on that put them at a huge risk for falling, whether it's a blood pressure medication, a pain medication. Um, really, there's so many that are a, quote, fall risk medication. And when you have an older adult, maybe in their 70s or 80s, who take a handful of pills every single day, they're at a huge risk for falling, and they don't even, they don't even know it. They think they're perfectly fine. You know, you know as you said, I'm, I'm getting older. There's not a whole lot I can do about it. It's just the way it is. That's not true. There's a lot you can do to prevent a fall as you're getting older. Right. Yeah, I, I'm sure a lot of people think that it's just a supplement. It's not going to, you know, play into the other drugs or, you know, prescription drugs that you're on, but it, it all does play a part, I'm sure. Uh, talk about what the most common type of a TBI is. So TBIs can be broken down into three different categories, mild, moderate, and severe. And the most common type of TBI are mild TBIs, which is good. Um, in fact, 75% of TBIs that occur each year in the U.S. are considered to be mild TBIs. A mild TBI can have either a brief or no loss of consciousness, and its presentation can demonstrate with vomiting, 
lethargy, dizziness, inability to recall what just happened. And we see this most often in our sports, our football players, boxers, wrestlers, MMA fighters, other, other contact sports. And unfortunately, the issue with mild TBIs is those symptoms don't always present right away. Sometimes it's weeks or months after. Yeah. And um, and that's that's what makes it very difficult to diagnose a mild TBI is because you either overlook it as something else or it's misdiagnosed and and you never know that you have a mild TBI. Interesting. So talk about then the flip side of concussion. What does that look like? Um, so this is kind of a trick question because a concussion is actually a type of mild TBI. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think recognizing that one of the things that, you know, when we educate people is, well, it's a concussion. So I think in some ways, you know, when we talk about TBIs, it's a very personal diagnosis because it can feel like um, your brain is very personal. Um, and so I think sometimes we're, when we say concussion, it's almost getting um, brushed under the rug a little bit mm -hmm. and it's used to kind of downplay you know, what can be a very serious issue still. Because um, like, uh, you know, when we talk about it as a mild TBI, just like what we talked about earlier, it's still a traumatic cause. Um, and it's metabolic rather than physical damage. And what I mean by that is our bodies have like chemical and electrical signals. Um, and so concussions are oftentimes harder to diagnose because there aren't physical things to see. Um, and, but you're still getting changes because the brain has changed the way it's communicating, even though there's nothing physical that's changed. Um, and they can still have the same symptoms as the mild TBI that you talked about. Um, it can affect your sleep. It can make you feel uh, dizzy or off balance. Sometimes it might just be like, if you're already prone to being car sick, like your car sickness suddenly increases, but you don't really know why, or you're already prone to migraines. All of a sudden your migraines have this uptick, but you can't really point your finger to what happened. Um, and they can go away in a day or hours, but they can also last weeks or months, just like other mild TBIs. So I think this is this is one of those things where it, it was kind of a trick question because um, <laughs> really it's just a subtype. It's just a subtype of a mild TBI. Um, and so I think, but we say concussion and then it's, Kind of like, oh, well, that's not a big deal, but it really can be. Sure. Well, what are some common myths about concussion? Um, I think there's three that come that are kind of like my top three myths. Um, people will say, well, it wasn't a concussion because I didn't pass out. I didn't lose consciousness. But that's actually not required. You can have a concussion and be alert and awake the whole time. Um, the other one is, especially in our setting, we get people after they've been to a major hospital in most cases, and mm -hmm. they'll tell me, well, all of my scans were normal. There were, there were no changes on my MRI or my CT scan. And that's also another myth. You don't have to have changes on the scan. Um, you know, the, the scans can be negative, but like we talked about earlier, it's not a physical change. It's the change at the level of like a cellular structure. So it wouldn't show on those scans. Um, and then the third one um, is just that, uh, it, like if it's a concussion, then it'll go away in a couple of days. Um, and that's, that's not always the case. A lot of times, like she said, you don't realize it right away. 
And it's like, because you'll be doing something leisurely and, you know, you're out doing, you know, weekend softball and you're having fun and you're relaxed and you don't really notice it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's not until you go back to work on Monday and all of a sudden you're in the office, or you're at work and it's, you know, the busy time when all the customers are coming in and all of a sudden you just feel like things are getting jumbled. And for whatever reason, you just feel off that day. Um, and so it's not until you have a lot of stressors and demands on your brain at the same time that you really start to notice that something is off. Okay. Interesting. I know some people have like, um, like my son fell and had a concussion and he um, was very nauseous. It seems like that probably, I don't know, the one that I hear most that and you get tired and not let people fall asleep. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think, you know, the not falling asleep thing or not letting them sleep right away is because you want to monitor them. But right into your initial phase, actually rest is one of the best things to make sure you're getting time to heal. So, uh, you know, once you've sought your medical help and they've kind of cleared you through like the initial phase Mm -hmm. of it, um, rest actually becomes a a very important factor in recovery from all brain injuries. Good to know. So how do you treat the TBI? Well, treatment of a TBI depends on the individual, and it, it also depends on the severity of the brain injury. Um, like Teresa said, um, rest and slow resumption of normal activities, as long as those symptoms are not reoccurring, is the best treatment. Um, treatment should be symptom-based, including treating any sleep disturbances, headaches, fatigue, dizziness, um, sensory sensitivity, nausea, vomiting, um, those are all great to treat for mild TBIs. Um, and also for moderate to severe TBIs, in, inpatient rehabilitation, like we do here at Encompass, is most beneficial. And that includes physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech therapy. Um, treatment should be symptom focused based off careful diagnosis. It should emphasize both functional resolution and compensatory strategies. And it should provide an optimistic outlook and clear path for patient to improve. Um, the overall goal of treating a TBI is getting the person back to the highest and safest level of independence possible. Got it. How long does a TBI last? I'm sure it varies. Yeah, as I say, that's another, it depends question. So a lot of times if you're concussions and your mild TBIs, you will see them clear and most people can return to everything they were doing before, you know, with maybe only minor things that they have to monitor or watch out for. For people in the moderate uh, or severe um, injury types, I think that's where you look at, you know, this really does become um, a lifelong game of routine and management, um, you know, depending on where they are. Because with, you know, moderate and even with severe, depending on where in the brain um, they were affected, you know, they can sometimes still move and walk around and even talk semi-normally and you wouldn't maybe pick up on it right away you know and so in that case I think that's probably almost the hardest situation if you have somebody who maybe appears very normal on the outside despite mm-hmm. the fact that their brain really has been affected in a way that prevents them from communicating normally or having normal social interactions um, I think that's probably the highest risk group um, and, you know and so then it really becomes a game of um, patterning your day and being on a routine and being on a schedule. Um, and then even in a case where the TBI, you know, can have impacts similar to stroke where you start to lose function in a limb or an arm or not speak well, um, you know, at that point in time, you're looking at, you know, how do you set up with your support team, you know, a lot of times that's the family um, or mm-hmm. a spouse, um, 
you know, ways to support this person so they can still kind of function on a daily basis. So um, it's lifelong. And then with good management, you can get into routines, that take care of a lot of things, but um, it's still a lot of support. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, talk about things that make it TBI difficult to diagnose and treat. Well, like Teresa said, one of the most difficult things about treating someone with a TBI is a lot of times you have no idea that a person has a TBI. Um, 5.3 million Americans are currently disabled with a TBI in the United States. And a majority of those people are not hospitalized or institutionalized. They're walking around alongside us every single day, and they look just like you and I do, um, but their brains are functioning completely differently. Um, the symptoms are often mild and unrecognizable. For example, um, my husband sustained a TBI in the Marine Corps 10 years ago, and um, you would never know it. He um, looks and acts perfectly fine. He can hold a perfect conversation. Um, no one would ever know that his brain functions a little bit differently than everybody else's. Um, but he, he can tell, and these people that are close to him can tell that he struggles with um, short-term memory, um, problem-solving, multitasking is very difficult for him. But he's learned a lot of compensatory mechanisms and um, ways to work around his injury. Um, Many head injuries also go undiagnosed because um, they're invisible to begin with and not being taken seriously on top of that. Um, many symptoms, like we said, don't show up for weeks or sometimes months after the injury, and the symptoms are very vague. Um, they can mimic other symptoms, like you could think it's just a migraine, or I'm just nauseous, maybe I ate something bad, or um, they're very nonspecific. So that makes it very difficult to diagnose and treat a, a TBI. Um, the key to diagnosing and treating even mild TBIs and concussions is early intervention. Don't shake it off or try to walk it off and say, oh, I'm fine. I just hit my head. I'm, I'm okay. Uh, whether you played a sport or if you fell or if you stood up and bumped your head into something or backed up into something, get it checked out, even if you think you're fine. Um, even mild TBIs can have long-lasting effects. You say the stand up and hit your head. Can't tell you how many times I've done that, and you don't even think about it. But, you know, yep. you, if you bump it on the trunk lid, you just, you know, you don't think about some of the things that actually could have like that longer lasting effect on people. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, gosh, to tag off of that, you know, a lot of times we'll find people that they've been in like major vehicle accidents is probably a really common one. Mm -hmm. um, they've gotten a lot of other injuries, like maybe they'll, you know, they had a neck injury and a fracture here, and they've got a leg fracture at the same time. And so they're on a lot of medications for that. And so sometimes, you know, they're feeling foggy and groggy because they're on all these heavy pain meds. And so, you know, it's not even until they're clearing off those pain meds, that you can even really start to see that something else is going on. So it's almost like masked by other things that occur at the same time for the more significant injuries. Um, you know, the only other thing that I could think of was um, when you're talking about these little bumps, um, you know, we talk about recovery and kind of things like that. Um, one of the things that sometimes they say to watch out for when you're recovering is it's called second impact syndrome. And so when you're recovering from one brain injury, sometimes something as small as a minor bump, like, you know, on that cupboard, I, you know, I know it's the overhead cupboards in the kitchen that I always get, um, <laughs> you know, or it's like the car door when I'm like coming out after bumping uh -huh. my kids in the car. 
So sometimes even a minor bump like those, when your brain is still the very like early recovery stage can cause what they call second impact syndrome, which can take a mild, even a mild brain injury into a severe because you're all kind of layering yeah. two injuries on top of each other. Yeah. Well, thank you for being on our podcast today and for putting brain injury awareness month in front of people because I think all of us at some point have had some bump or something ourselves or we've dealt with family members or loved ones friends, colleagues that have gone through some kind of TBI or concussion. Um, and it, it is important for us to talk about it and recognize that there, there are issues like this out there. So thank you. And hopefully we'll see you guys again on another podcast talking about another topic. Um, but for now, I just want to say thanks. And uh, you can find all of our episodes of the Inside Business Podcast at iTunes, Google Play, YouTube or your own favorite podcast website, or you can find them online at musicianchamber.org. Thanks again. Thank, Thank you. you. That's it. There you go.